exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. That's what Kung Fu Podcast is all about, and I'm your host, T.W. Smith. If this is your first time to the program, welcome. You're in the audience of some of the finest and sharpest martial artists in the world, folks that put in a great deal of care and put in a lot of effort to hone their craft. This episode is built around the work of Kai Morgan from budoandnochi.com. Kai is an agent of action here at Kung Fu Podcast and has been referenced several times. If you'd like to get more information about Kai, kungfupodcast.com forward slash Kai, K-A-I. During part one, we were in this story about Katie, who was noticeably tentative and filled with fear as she was working out with Kai. Kai happened to be in town visiting a friend Afterwards, they go to a pub, and Katie makes these comments about how she was now feeling like she was such a badass because she had been practicing in martial arts. Kai said that Katie was very far from being a badass. We find that the sensei was also feeding it with this idea that they were building Katie up. Hence the reason for the podcast, identifying real and fake empowerment. You'll find all the links in the show notes and on the webpage. One of the other things we did during part one is that we loosely defined three phases of empowerment, but it is only the third phase that is undeniable empowerment. Phase one is the one that most people reference. Confidence is the part of feeling empowered, but this feeling is not empowerment. It's potential. Phase two, you begin to take action with confidence. This is much closer to being empowered, but it is still not absolute. Phase three, undeniable empowerment, is when your actions begin to change the circumstances. You start to make a difference. That is undeniable empowerment. Let's review the first five characteristics of empowerment. One, real empowerment fundamentally changes someone's demeanor and bearing. We had also added that for many psychologists today, when they're measuring empowerment, this demeanor change must include taking action and begin to reshaping the outside world around you. Number two, real empowerment may help you stay safer. Fake empowerment could put you at a greater risk. Number three, fake female empowerment is often grounded in consumerism. Number four, true empowerment benefits others, not just the individual. And number five, inarguable empowerment has a clear sense of its own limitations. Which now brings us to the start of part two of identifying fake and real empowerment. In the dictionary, inspire is a synonym for empower. As verbs, the difference between inspire and empower is that inspire is to infuse into the mind, to communicate to the spirit, to convey, as by, for example, a divine or supernatural influence. While empower is to give permission, power, or the legal right to do something. When you are empowered, your actions and results will inspire others. Which leads us to the sixth trait of noticing real empowerment. An empowered woman is inspirational to men and women alike. Another possible sign of fake empowerment is when a female martial artist is always held up within a school, for example, as inspirational for other women. 
true power cuts across gender, and only a truly powerful person is inspirational to other people, regardless of their gender. Katie's dojo brothers can talk all they like about the power she's gained through martial arts training, but until it appears that they actually want to be like her in some way, it doesn't mean a lot. A fantastic example of cross-cutting empowerment is celebrated in a great article about Ronda Rousey in 2015, when Rousey was at her very best. The article says that Rousey has influenced men and women and created an aura of self-confidence that we all definitely need in our lives. The article, titled Live Like Ronda Rousey, Seven Ways to Be a Badass, includes things, for example, number one, be fearless. Rousey's quote, fear will not dictate my destiny. Number two, be loyal. Never forget where you came from. Make time when there is none. Number three, be aware of your actions. Rousey says that when I think about being a role model, I think about how I want my little sister to see me. Number four, be confident. Rousey says that I'm scared of failure all the time, but I'm not scared enough to stop trying. The seventh way to live like a badass is to be mentally tough. Rousey said, I train to be the best in the world, even on my worst day. Be resilient. Life is a fight from the minute you take your first breath to the moment you exhale your last. And then number seven, be focused. Rousey says, quote, the way that I like to fight is I like to paint myself into a corner. So the only way out for me is to win, end quote. Kai states that if you have female instructors in your school and they only teach the ladies and the children and are routinely labeled as inspirational to female students, this could be for all kinds of good, very good reasons. But for this threshold, we might want to question why they're not teaching adult men too and whether they could do so successfully if they wanted to. I added an outside martial arts example of a woman who was empowered and inspired others. In 1955, Rosa Parks, an African-American woman living in Montgomery, Alabama, challenged the race segregation that existed in parts of the U.S. by refusing to give up her seat on a bus so that a white person could sit down. Rosa Parks' protest was supported by so many that it ignited the civil rights movement, which eventually won equal rights. Rosa Parks' empowerment inspired others to work through a great cause. Which leads us now to number seven. Real empowerment is grounded in real experience of real success. It's all very well affirming to others or to yourself that you're powerful. But this can be very empty, the garage champion is usually what I call it, without any real experience of power. Kai states flatly, quote, Personally, I have little time for a lot of the empowerment rhetoric aimed specifically at women. For example, there's no one like you. You are such a beautiful star of a woman, exactly the way you are. Nurture yourself as if that you were your own best friend, because that's what makes life so much more fun. I believe that's an example from the 10 Warrior Goddess training tips, and I agree with Kai. 
These words are nice to hear, but they're absolutely toothless. You are much more likely to grow in confidence by successfully doing your training. Do your work. Interact with others. Test yourself. And confidently seeking to improve our imperfect selves. While you embrace your limitations, you'll get better. Much more so than by telling ourselves that we're precious and perfect just as we are. You won't go anywhere because you're just comfortable in your garage. Kai also points to David Wong, who puts it brilliantly. Confidence is an indicator of past success. For example, there was a famous basketball player named Michael Jordan, probably who had the confidence to take difficult shots because he had made them before and had been making them since he was a child. These past successes are what helped him overcome his fear of future failures, which he had many of. If he had nothing but failure to draw from and was yet still confident, that is what a scientist might call a moron. Which brings us to number eight. Real empowerment isn't necessarily pretty, and it doesn't have to be. Amen. Thank goodness, right? Because one thing I've never been accused of is being pretty. However, that is not the kind of pretty Kai is referring to. She is referring to this mixed message of empowerment. She has this diagram up, which looks like this beautiful artistic anime. And it says here on the poster, this warrior woman is fully awakened and taking a stand taking the problems by the horns with her hand. She will conquer all that is there and all who comes as they dare. As Kai points out, when the vast majority of images of being empowered as a woman or a female warrior are so heavily sexualized and made to look stereotypically pretty, it can seriously undermine the intended message of what it is to be empowered. By way of contrast, Kai shares another image, which she titles Permission to be Unpretty. And it's two women wrestling on the mat, and I mean, they're really grinding into it. One's got a uh, half Nelson uh, on a choke down. The other one's got her uh, hand up in her face. And basically what it demonstrates is that martial arts training can release a woman from the societal expectations to look nice, this learned behavior to be nice, which we also mentioned in part one. These are two very different depictions of empowerment and beauty. So as we move from true empowerment looking kind of raw, that puts us at number nine. Real empowerment is generated from within, not bestowed by others. What I did here is I pulled a historical reference to someone who was not empowered before anything was bestowed. She was empowered when the other side was telling her to stick it. We are now in 1903 of British history. The social reformer Emmeline Pankhurst founded the Women's Social and Political Reunion. She campaigned for the parliamentary vote for women in Edwardian Britain. Her motto was indicative of undeniable empowerment. Pankhurst recited over and over, deeds, not words, is what mattered. HistoryExtra.com says that Pankhurst was a charismatic leader and a powerful order. Pankhurst roused thousands of women to demand 
rather than ask politely for their democratic right in a mass movement that has been unparalleled in British history. Always in the thick of the struggle, Pankhurst endured 13 imprisonments. Her name and her cause became known throughout the entire world. As a clear example of fake empowerment, Kai points to an example where some male designers presented these ideas of a strong, empowered femininity. I had to go look this up, so bear with me for a minute. But Kai mentions Bauman, which I'm not even sure if I pronounced it correctly, but it's a French luxury fashion house, which you probably see me dress. I don't know what that really is. <laughs> but it was founded by Pierre Bauman in 1945. It currently operates 16 stores, including locations in New York, L.A., Las Vegas, Miami. You get the point. So suffice to say, they don't make blue jeans and geese. Well, the creative director of Bauman, Oliver Rousting, turned top models Gigi Hadid. So, of course, <laughs> you know who the head is. She's like the best fashion model of all the Americans in her generation. Well, the point is that Rousting decided to take Gigi and other models and turn them into these fierce huntresses, warrior depictions. And the problem is, is that men and women may begin to seek empowerment through this martial arts that you have to be dressed up as a warrior in clothes that cost a fortune, may even preclude any real fighting abilities, or even worse, the fact that this is an industry known for its labor exploitation practices. Empowerment is not something that you can buy or acquire from others, no matter how you dress. Now, this reminded me of something that Dale Earnhardt once said when he was talking about gaining characteristics and wanting to race and getting out there and um, competing hard. And he said, they can't put it in you and they can't take it out of you. Al Siebert considers the paradox of trying to teach what cannot be taught. In his book, The Survivor Personality. In other words, the survivor qualities and survivor spirit we seek to teach can only develop from one's own personal experience. They cannot be instilled by a teacher. Siebert says that above all, you must focus on guiding your student in the art of learning their own surviving their own coping and thriving skills. In the school of life, the responsibility is on the learner, not on the teacher. Through trial and error, you learn what works and what does not work for you. True self-improvement, self-confidence, and spiritual development come out of real life, everyday experiences, not from books and workshops, which is going to lead us to a very unfortunate story of what fake empowerment can lead to. Before we go there, Kai uses the term McDojo. And if you look up what that term means, you're going to find something along the lines of a martial arts school that teaches watered-down and practical training purely for the sake of making money. Others might use a term like a black belt factory. And it's prevalent even in the Chinese martial arts too. But it is a much easier pedal in the belt ranking systems, it seems. The reason I mention that is notice that it does not mean that you can't have several facilities or a franchise. It refers specifically to the intent behind the teaching, which leads to a threshold that I believe every agent of action at Kung Fu Podcast holds true. Number 10. Real empowerment 
withstands pressure testing. M.J. Harday, who is a well-known author from Detroit, shares a terrible story of having been seduced by fake empowerment in a McDojo. Harday explains how exciting it felt to be awarded a black belt after two years of training and how proud the students all felt for having stuck with their training, knowing that now that they could defend themselves. The group carried on their training for uh, all the way through to their second and third dons, feeling their confidence grow all the time. Hardy states that they had learned a lot and then continues. What we didn't learn, though, and didn't realize we weren't learning, was how to use the techniques that were in the katas. We never learned to combine techniques. We never realized just because we could do the katas well and just because we had nice-looking, fast, and powerful kicks that we didn't know how to use them. We never sparred. None of us had ever taken any real contact. I could have stayed on that happy little path for the rest of my life if it was not for what happened to someone else. One of the guys who blazed his way through to a black belt in just two years stuck along with me, and he was beaten up in a way that I didn't think anyone could ever survive. He was a mass of ripped flesh and broken bones and blood, and that was after a few days of healing. He lost the hearing in one ear, and for a while, they weren't sure if he was ever even going to walk again. All because he was attacked, and he thought he knew how to defend himself. This victim, Harjay's classmate, said that he felt confident until he was hit with the first punch. All that kind of practice hadn't taught him how to block effectively. This guy could have died. As it is, he will have lasting effects of being beaten for the rest of his life. Harday says it was an eye-opener for all of us. We realized none of us had ever taken a serious punch. Kai hopes that Katie never finds herself in a situation where she must seriously depend upon her current fantasy ability to defend herself, which is going to bring us to the last characteristic of fake empowerment or real empowerment, depending upon how you're trying to look at. And that is number 11. The apparent power of a victim identity is not true power at all. Kai states that there was one really distressing red flag in this whole story. It was the ease with which Katie related the tragic events of her young life to Kai in a public place, who, for the most part, was a stranger, while her sensei and fellow students calmly listened and even chipped in to the narrative. They clearly heard this narrative many times before, which this implies that Katie has been allowed or encouraged to construct an identity within herself and her school of being a victim. And this is a very seductive role, which can certainly feel empowering. Roy Miller, excellent, excellent martial artist, somebody I highly recommend. In fact, I'm going to be bringing some of his work here to the program for you. Writes in his book, Meditations on Violence. There is a great power in the victim identity. Instructors and other students go out of their way to be accommodating and gentle. The survivor can often get out of any drill or derail the whole class by admitting their discomfort. 
the benefits of victim status must be given up to outgrow the victim status. We usually say if you want to be who you want to be, you got to let go of who you are. But this is hard, yet it is critical. The subtle power in the victim status is power for people who have been made to feel powerless, and it can be addictive. Like I said, I'll be bringing a little bit more Roy's work here to you in the near future. Unfortunately, Katie's going to find it really hard to break out of the role that she has developed for herself now. As her seniors, juniors, peers, and even friends of the club all know her story and have roundly defined her as a victim, she may not realize that the flip side of this is that her actual position within the school is very likely one of powerlessness and being viewed as weak. Katie will be putting herself at severe risk if she continues to openly broadcast her vulnerability to others. And that brings us to the conclusion. Kai had met Katie some time ago, and this story had been fermenting inside of Kai for some time. She said initially she was creeped out and she was annoyed with the sensei in particularly, but recognized that she didn't know them or the context of why they started this victim narrative. But what really upset Kai was Katie's complete lack of awareness of the game being played out around her. Couple that with the fact that others could see it. Certainly Kai's friend, who was also a member of the school, could see it. And we would be safe to assume that her instructor or at least some of the other students could see it. Or worse, maybe the instructor couldn't see it. And therein lies the problem. Quote, Physical, mental, and spiritual empowerment are at the very core of martial arts training. But it's a hard, often thankless journey, and there may be seductive, easier-looking wrong turnings along the way. I think that there are two possible directions to take here. Either openly teach and practice your art as being not martial and focus on its other benefits, or study something that's martially effective, maintaining high standards, realistic expectations, and understanding of limits. But please, don't mix and match elements from the two approaches. This can be dangerous, unfair, and incredibly irresponsible. Whether you're a student, a teacher, or both, I hope this has given you some ideas to reflect on and critique what empowerment looks like within your own school. Consider the part that you play in ensuring that you and your colleagues have the most realistic version possible. End quote. To my end, I believe that Kai has offered a very real characteristic empowerment that is oftentimes assumed when you go into a martial arts school. For example, I walk into a martial arts school and I talk with instructors. You look around and up on the walls they have words painted like loyalty, honor, courage. And those are excellent. And if you were to ask them about empowerment, most would say, well, empowerment comes from being loyal, honor, and having courage. They couldn't really describe to you the difference, for example, between being inspired and empowered. And even if they did start to discuss empowerment, it usually starts and stops with the feeling of fill in the blank. They will seldom go to the objective viewing that your actions have changed your environment. So let's take a review of the 11 characteristics of real and fake empowerment. One, True empowerment fundamentally changes someone's demeanor. Number two, real empowerment may help you stay safer, but fake empowerment could put you at risk. Number three, 
fake female empowerment is often grounded in consumerism. Number four, indisputable empowerment benefits others, not just the individual. Five, you have to have a clear sense of your own limitations. Six, someone who is empowered is inspirational to both men and women. Number seven, it has to be grounded in realistic experiences of real successes. Because if you have realistic experiences of failures and still think of yourself as a success, you have a different set of problems. Number eight, true empowerment doesn't need to be pretty or sexy. Nine, it has to be generated from within, not bestowed upon you by others. Ten, you've got to pressure test it. It can stand it if you have it. Number 11, watch out for and listen out for the victim narrative. The apparent power of a victim identity is not true power at all. I encourage you to meditate on various aspects of this list. As I said here, your everyday experiences are where you can really start to find the tests. You don't have to be in your martial arts school to exercise your narrative, verify your will. And in many cases, the tests are walking into your lives and they're walking into your office door each day. Start standing up for you. Thank you so much for supporting Kung Fu Podcast. You can get more information at kungfupodcast.com forward slash support. Have a fantastic practice today, and I'll be talking with you again real soon. <laughs>